Hello, and welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast. Today, we are talking about the 1982 action sci-fi horror classic, John Carpenter's The Thing, as a precautionary measure. I have placed a sniper at Tanner's position so that he can't talk about Among Us. <laughs> Hi, I'm your host, Tim M. Sullivan. And with me, I have... Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Joseph Vrenick. I'm Tanner Richard Kraft. And with us, we have returning guests for her third appearance... Hi, I'm Sydney Volpe. Three timer club! Three timer. Is it really? Wow. Your certificate will be in the mail. I just shipped it to the Boston City Hall. I hope that's sufficient. <laughs> <laughs> I actually there live there go. upstairs, so. Today, as I mentioned before, we are talking about uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, this was originally a short story by John W. Campbell Jr. called Who Goes There? And uh, the first film adaptation was a film by Christian Nyby. The 1951 film, The Thing from Another World. One of the world's greatest battles was fought and won today by the human race. Here at the top of the world, a handful of American soldiers and civilians met the first invasion from another planet. Then a few years later, uh, a film director named John Carpenter, who had uh, recently made this little indie horror movie called Halloween, uh, which featured uh, some children watching The Thing from Another World at various points. He was called upon to make a film adaptation of The Thing, and uh, he decided rather than uh, just do like a full-on remake, he was going to kind of look at the original source material and create his own take on the story. The film barely outgrossed its budget, an estimated budget of about $15 million, and uh, the gross was just over $19.6 million, and it received a lot of negative reviews, uh, including reviews from the original director, Anibi, and uh, Roger Ebert, who is a famous, well-respected critic who had some real garbage horror takes. Well, and the movie just basically is an excuse for this very gruesome and repellent creature to gross us out. It is okay. the most nauseating thing I've ever seen on a movie screen, I think. After the years passed, Carpenter's film found some success through uh, home video and television broadcasts, and uh, that's where it really started to take off. And uh, it's had a bunch of uh, additional media adaptations, Dark Horse Comics published four sequel comics by Chuck Farrer, which Carpenter has called worthy sequels to the film. And uh, in 2002, a sequel game was made for PC, PS2, and Xbox. And then uh, in 2011, a prequel film was made, uh, which uh, very famously contained uh, lots of finished practical effects that were then covered by CGI. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff with The Thing. So for our first question, let's talk about our history with The Thing. And uh, we're going to start with Austin, who, once upon a time, was on another podcast where he talked about The Thing. But I want to hear it again. Um, sometime around when I was nine, my dad decided to show me some of his favorite movies of all time. That's like 4D Man, which he used to watch with my grandpa, Lawnmower Man, Scarface. I was nine. Say hello to my little friend. But best of all was the thing. Old man's weebs really likes the fucking thing. Sometimes when we're together, he quotes that scene where Gary, the station commander, tells McGreedy that he doesn't want to spend the rest of winter tied to this fucking couch. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. And uh, we just have a good time with it. And that's it. 
That's my history. It was the first horror movie that I ever saw. But I want to take a second to note, I met friends of mine in film school whose first horror movie also was The Thing, also watched with their dad. And speaking personally, I got to say, this movie didn't give me nightmares or fuck me up emotionally, but other horror films afterward around the same time sometimes did. Like, around the same age, I absolutely freaked the fuck out because I saw the opening of Saw 2, that eyeball trap, and I remember seeing Captain Howdy from The Exorcist and crying, but why is it that The Thing, this massively gory film full of grotesque as shit monsters, worked out so well as, like, my gentle introduction into the horror genre? Uh, I wonder this all the time, especially now knowing that other guys had the same childhood experience. I'm going to keep pondering that. Back to you, Tim. Thank you, Austin. Joe, uh, let's talk about your history with The Thing. When I was a young wee lad back in 2010, 2011, somewhere around there, I was a young high school freshman, sophomore, and that was kind of around the time when I started to really get into movies. I would go to the Council Bluffs Public Library and I would rent five movies a week. And at some point I had heard that there was a remake of The Thing coming out around that time. I think I found that out because, oh, hey, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in it. And, oh, hey, I have a crush on her because I really like Scott Pilgrim. But <laughs> I, I, heard, I knew that there was a movie before that. So I picked it up from the library and I watched it in the infamous grandma's basement. That's where I watched a ton of <laughs> movies that wound up shaping me. And, you know know what it's one of those movies that made me want to be a filmmaker like it's up there with reservoir dogs was one of them social network was another the texas chainsaw massacre a very influential movie for me to say the least brief side note because tim mentioned the video game i have played it it's pretty fun yeah i I have not played the game but uh, i've heard interesting things about it I'm, i'm curious i might have to give it a shot sometime tanner history with the thing Okay, so as I've said before, back in the day, uh, 2012, The Avengers came out and I started falling in love with movies on a deeper level because of YouTubers I primarily attributed to pretty much it. But shamefully, there is another YouTuber who is critical in my developing passion with movies, and that was a YouTube critic who goes by the name Jeremy Johns. Um, (laughs) And... um, He had a review of the 2011 thing. I used to spend hours just watching his reviews. Me too. And then at some point I got recommended Jeremy Johns reviews Blade. And I was like, oh, why is it like 10 seconds long? And then I saw him do blackface and nothing was ever the same. um, (laughs) More importantly, I watched his review of the 2011 thing movie. And I remember he just complained about it being like, oh, the original was such a great classic blah, 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 booey. And um, I went out of my way to be like, oh, okay. Jeremy Johns, respected critic in my mind, what normal people think of Roger Ebert, 15-year-old me thought of Jeremy Johns that way. Horrifying. Just imagining Robert, Roger Ebert talking about how something's nice if you're drunk. <laughs> and I went on my way to find a thing. I was 15 and I loved it because I was a male and 15. So I was genetically predisposed to like it because uh, dudes rock. Um, I don't remember it ever. It's terrifying me, but I remember it just being this really exhilarating thing when I watched it at the time. It was like a instantly like, oh, this is one of the best movies ever made when I watched it. Jesus, how long you figure this has been in the ice? I'd say the ice that's buried in is 100,000 years old, at least. Those Norwegians blew it up. Yeah. That's sort of my history of the thing. Uh, Another side note, around the same time, I also played the thing video game. I don't remember liking it, so... (laughs) Uh, We've got mixed reviews in the house. There you go. That that sounds about right for that game. Sweet. All right, Sydney. Tell us about your history with the thing. 
I love the thing. I actually have the poster of it. That's my fa- it's my favorite, my favorite movie poster of all time. I did not watch the thing for the first time until pr- within the last year. I don't remember exactly when because I didn't really start exploring John Carpenter until recently, but he instantly became, he's probably my third favorite director. I feel like a lot of people got introduced to his films and films in that genre through their dads. And I did not. My dad showed me Star Wars and Zoolander. And that was about Zoolander, it. Zoolander, you made the right choice, <laughs> but my introduction to horror was through my mom and she's really into Stephen King. So I, I watched a lot of Stephen King growing up. I watched the original It when I was probably like seven and that fucked me up real good. But yeah, all like Misery, Carrie, the Langoliers for some reason. Yeah, recently I, I started exploring John Carpenter. I love his films and I totally fell in love with the thing. I just love how he does horror. It's There's nothing inauthentic about the way he does horror. There's no cheap shock value. It's so interestingly nonchalant and yet so terrifying and suspenseful. And I was like, holy shit, I just watched something that I've never seen before. And I, and tonight I just saw it for the second time in theaters and that was really amazing. But I haven't seen the 2011 version. So that's most of my history with it. Yeah, all, all good histories um yeah my history with it i think i've mentioned this before i didn't really start to get into horror until like early high school and early college like that was when i was really starting to explore the genre a lot in 2012 uh, that was when i was at my first college and that was when i was living in a dorm that was where i discovered uh the john carpenter the thing and i watched it i think in october of that year and uh, I remember loving it a lot. It was just such a great horror movie. The practical effects were incredible, which, of course, we're going to be talking about more later. Just just great atmosphere to it. Just kind of a fascinating concept. I watched the uh, 1951 film for the first time, I think, last year. And then I watched it again uh, the other day for preparation. And it's, it's pretty good as far as like classic movies go. Like it's a little harder for me to get into like black and white stuff but i do enjoy it i think it's a solid like classic horror movie and like i had watched the uh 2011 the thing shortly after it came out and like at the time i was like yeah this is fine like i wish i could see the version with the practical effects as intended but like i still overall enjoyed it like i thought it was a fine enough movie you know how i knew you were human no your earring Oh, shit! Yeah! Of course, like, the John Carpenter one, though, is just... It's so good. It, movie, very, very good. I didn't go to see the Fathom Events screening of it, but I did get to see it once in the theater. Uh, it was one of the last movies that I saw at the uh, St. Louis Tivoli Theater. It was great to see with a crowd and great to see on the big screen, of course. And so now let's get into our thoughts on The Thing. I will start with Tan. Yeah, baby. I did the very smart thing for this movie. I didn't rewatch it in advance of this podcast. So the last time I watched it was, mm, when was Grave Tales? That was 2019. (laughs) Okay, so it's been a solid mm, three years. So let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's see if I can remember. Every time I watch the movie, what really stands out to me is, um, 
the cast. They all give really incredible performances. The chemistry of one another is great. Every time I watch it, I can usually notice these subtle things that change in the actor's behavior from before or after they get infected with the thing. These real subtle nuances and changes that you can only really pick up on and repeat viewings. I really love the way the movie's lit and the way it kind of paints with shadows. I, I find it be very interesting, very beautiful. It has awesome action moments. It has awesome horror moments, and it's a great sci-fi picture all in one and also movies that take place in antarctica are just cool ice cold snow shit rocks this is why the day after tomorrow is actually the best that one director's movie what the fuck is his name gary Busey. yeah um not those little shit i was taking shrapnel and caisson while you were crapping in your hands and rubbing it on your face you mad gary bussy (laughs) gary bussy baby but Bussy Bank. Bussy Bank. Bussy Bank. What is happening? <laughs> what happened in Chicago, Austin, stays in Chicago. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. So overall, it's a great movie. I uh, think it's very influential and important. It's crazy to me that this was poorly reviewed at the time, but that happens with a lot of classic horror movies. The Shining, which... I think is a little overrated, but was horribly reviewed at the time, too. It won Razzies. How funny is that in hindsight? The, the 80s were full of prudes when it when it came to horror. It was yeah. not a good time to be a horror director. The but thing I think won Razzies? The thing got nominated for a Razzie for worst score, I think. Carpenter and Morricone. What? How are you? <laughs> Carpenter's a genius. Um, I like to see you do better, bitches. Um, so <laughs> they weren't anyway, always a joke. Don't take them seriously. That's what they said about cinema sense. And look at the damage they have done. Joe, look at the damage they have That's wrought true. upon it's our nation. Irreparable. This is this is true. Fuck you, Cinemasins. We will destroy um, John Cinemasins. John Cinemasins <laughs> is sexist Todd's brother. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tanner. Very cool. All right. Sydney, as someone who has not watched it twice and recently had an interesting theatrical experience, tell us your thoughts on the thing. Yes, it was mighty interesting. We were in there for 20 minutes and it still had started. Thank you, Fathom Events. And then it started playing right in the scene where like the husky was like about to get put in the kennel and then they had to rewind the entire thing and started. But anyways, I think... This movie is perfect. I absolutely love it. I second everything that Tanner said, the way that it's lit, all of the performances. Uh, The second time around, I picked up on a lot of interesting stuff, especially just with how meaningful a lot of the dialogue is. I feel like it's easy to not really pay attention to it the first time around, and then you kind of appreciate the screenplay a lot more the second time. But the thing that I love most is just how this movie kind of like owns these themes of like self-preservation and mutually assured destruction, like stuff like that, that I think is so, so interesting. And the way that it depicts that and explores that is always going to be relevant. And especially watching it now was almost weird with COVID. Like for some reason, it was just very COVID-esque, especially in the way, I forget his name now, but he was just saying like, he was looking at like how quickly everything would spread if it reached like the world's population and all of that it's just such an interesting thing to explore and just the way Carpenter does it just the way he shoots it and builds suspense especially with like the blood scene and like you guys said like the practical effects I really appreciate some good practical effects and I think I think this might be my favorite example of that and and what you can do with it so yeah big big fan of this movie (laughs) nice nice all right Joe what are your thoughts on the thing 
you know what? I'm, I'm going to do a little show and tell here. So on my recent rewatch of it, for therapeutic reasons, I've been painting while watching horror All movies. Right. Oh, God, so here it comes. I'm gonna sh- my buddy Eric. show off uh, uh, one of my paintings. I like it. Thank you. This is the second painting I've ever done in my life. I, I've wow. never painted before. But anyway, so my thoughts on the movie. You know, it was a very interesting rewatch. For starters, it was very odd that it was formatted for television. And here I am. It's like I, I've, I'd always heard, oh, Keith David, Kurt Russell, they're they're in this movie. But then all of a sudden, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson show up. Oh, come You're on. Talking about <laughs> You're talking about God ice. damn it. I am talking about the X-Files episode. Which is basically a cheap version of John Carpenter's The Thing, but in X-Files form. You know, I liked it better when you made everything about the OC. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you want me to... Do it you wasn't me? an invitation. <laughs> okay, so... But, Back to the the JC, John Carpenter. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. As I say in a in a vidcast that'll hopefully come out soon, um, I'm a sucker for snow. I love the snow. So this movie's like heaven to me, <laughs> being set in Antarctica and just full of snow. I guess another thing that I kind of like noticed as far as like the filmmaking goes, it's like so the whole movie is set at this base. There's still like plenty of places to like move around in. And yet the whole thing feels extremely claustrophobic. Carpenter knows how to use his space and build tension with his space. You reach anybody yet? Reach anybody? We're a thousand miles from nowhere, man. What else can be said about those practical effects? That they are the best in the industry, like, ever. I can't remember how old Rob Bottin was when he did those. 22. Practical. Oh, oh yeah, he was 22. So what the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm 26. What the fuck am I doing with my life? Where did it all go wrong? (laughs) I lost a friend somewhere along in the bitterness. Guys, I'm almost 30. I made purple stuff when I was 23, and (laughs) it's all gone downhill since. (laughs) I guess as far as, like, individual performances, I mean, it's the Kurt Russell show all the way through. Uh, That that man and his his big, bushy beard. He's he's just carrying the entire film. Dude's wrong. Keith David, coolest man ever. Everyone always says, Morgan Freeman, narrate my life. I want Keith David to narrate my life. Hell yeah, Um, I want Spawn narrating my life. Yeah, same. I guess I'll Ended on uh, my boy Wilford Brimley, Diabetes. Uh, Mr. Diabetes himself. I'm Wilford Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Has some of the best reactions that I'm surprised aren't like reaction gifts of just like that whole autopsy scene is just full of reaction gifts. Uh, back to you, Tim. Yeah, you mentioned that autopsy scene, uh, and that kind of goes into one of the trivia things I had saved, which is that uh, he apparently was the only actor on set who was not squeamish during that scene. Uh, in which they incorporated real animal organs. The uh, shit you could get nice. away with in the 80s. It's okay. The horse was going to go to the glue factory anyway. We can shoot the scene in the godfather. The glue it's fine. Factory. Uh, all right, Austin, uh, what are your thoughts on the thing? I want to do a sort of alley-oop with a thing Tanner was saying about acting nuances. There's a point where they're trying to pass leadership of the base onto somebody, and McCready and Childs get in a fight eventually. But before that, I think they try to pass it to the dog lover guy, the dog kennel man, and he just sort of blankly stares with no sparkles in his eyes and says, 
you know, I don't think I'm up for that because he's possessed by the thing at that point. It's one of those moments in the screenplay where it's telegraphed that it's just like, no, I'm trying to hide. Thank you. I don't want to take charge of the group. There's a lot (laughs) of stuff like that in the movie. It's excellent. The thing is probably the greatest B movie of all time. As far as like monsters and guts meeting technical genius and complete dedication, you really can't do better than the thing. Right from the start, it's doing these remarkably clever things. A Norwegian guy tells you the whole plot, but nobody understands him. The whole movie is about (laughs) violent paranoia, and they fucking shoot the guy who's trying to save all their asses in the first 10 minutes. Then you see McCready, Kurt fucking Russell, that legendary dude who played Snake Plissken, equipped with hair and a beard that took him a whole ass calendar year to grow. And what's this guy doing? He gets checkmated by a computer, which is already an awesome thing to put in a movie from 1982, considering (laughs) fucking war games didn't come out until the next year. This chess wizard computer beats him in a game, so he pours a glass of J&B into its motherboard, (laughs) foreshadowing, my friends. McCready is the type of guy that when he's beat, he's not afraid to retaliate by blowing shit up. (laughs) This man is absolutely itching to blow up the base if that's what it comes down to. Dude's fucking rock. And then he just goes, cheating bitch. Cheating bitch. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Honestly, that makes the movie even better. When I was watching uh, 2001 the other day, uh, when you see uh, the main guy playing against HAL 9000 on the computer chess, I I thought about having just recently rewatched the thing. I'm just like, this is revenge against HAL 9000. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's quickly talk talk jump scares. Everybody, what's your favorite jump scare from a movie or a TV show? Uh, Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen. No, the jump scare in the night house. The scene where she's on the couch falling asleep and suddenly jump scare. Uh, That's probably my favorite. If I had to pick one, probably a tie from Samara's face reveal from The Ring or the one in Exorcist 3 with the giant scissors. Mm -hmm. You got to mention that one, Sydney. (laughs) For some, I don't want to say this. But the one that comes to mind first is the one from the like new it where they're watching the projector and he just yeah. like pops out. Pops out of the Props, props to them. But the one that got me when I was just now watching the thing was when they're seeing if he's dead and he goes into to do CPR on his chest and it just goes right through to these giant teeth that come out of his chest. <laughs> that one freaked me the fuck out because I like forgot that that had happened. They're trying to defibrillate the guy and he fucking the arms go in. Oh, his defer- he was defibrillating. Yeah. They got an amputee God. to come in and put gelatin arms on the amputee and fucking he rips that shit out. It's so fucking good. <laughs> The two jump scares this movie brings to the table are legendary. That scene we were just talking about, the scene where the needle touches the blood. Some way about how that scene is paced. You think that it's going to be a moment of downtime and that's when shit hits the fan. Um, I love the fact that every time the cast run into the thing, you have no idea what it's going to do to fight back. Like, it doesn't punch and kick. It sprays out tentacles and it grows spider legs and defies gravity and shit. The creativity on display here from Rob Bottin is crazy for a 21-year-old. It makes me want to die. It is such an impressive film to this very day. This is an excellent meditation on Cold War paranoia, masculinity, and what it means to be a human being. Kind of like Blade Runner. 
from the same year this came out, around the same exact time. I have both right, right behind me. It came out the same day, <laughs> same opening weekend. Also a big-ass flop. E.T. just wrecked so many good movies. Kind of like how Nirvana ruined every 90s band. <laughs> John Carpenter hauled everybody up to a glacier and made one of the coolest movies ever. Yeah, very, very, very good. Uh, my thoughts on the movie, uh, like like we've been saying, it's just it's such a good movie. There's so much great energy that goes in it. Like that scene with the defibrillation, watching the thing take shape and like listening to all of what went into that scene, that whole thing with the amputee and the gelatin arms. And then like uh, all the stuff that they were trying to do with uh, the head coming off where there's like we're melting plastic and bubble gum. And then uh, they didn't realize that they were creating this just incredibly flammable gas into the air. And then John Carpenter's like, what if we start fire? And then they immediately light it and the whole thing just fucking explodes. Uh, and Rob's just like, ah, shit, I have to do this again. Uh, everybody's, everybody's just got fucking smoke all over their faces. Oh my God, it's on fire. Right, it's on fire! That's just such an incredible story, just everything that went into that scene. One of the most incredible displays of practical effects and just incredible monster design. I think what really makes this movie stand out to me is that it understands that the only thing scarier than a scary monster is a scary monster with a human's face. And uh, it runs with that. You have the spider head. You've got just like this monster amalgamation of Wilford Brimley and the dog. So many just crazy monster designs and it just gets more and more inventive with it as it goes. It's just really incredible. Like you don't ever really see anything like that. I would probably say that this is my favorite horror movie of the 80s. If the 80s didn't also include the first two Evil Dead movies. What a decade. The first Evil Dead movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's not really fair. There's just too much in that decade. But this is just an incredible, incredible feat of horror. And it's obviously had such a huge impact on the genre going forward. It's, it's a movie that you can't not come back to. And like that blood test scene, the jump scare comes at you when you're not expecting it, which is great. And I think that's part of what makes this a great movie to see with the crowd. It's it's definitely a dude's rock movie. Uh, I think it does a very good balance of like action and horror, which like John Carpenter is has proven to be a master of both genres. And it, it does lean more heavily towards the horror elements, which I think inclines me to like it a little bit more because I've, I've always been a horror guy. It really toes the line very well. I really enjoy the like kind of open endedness to it. And apparently there was like some question of uh, may maybe this wasn't the right choice. I think it was like the, that. That monster is something that I feel like you can't ever completely get rid of it. That kind of like solidifies that. But I, I think that is my two cents on the movie. So uh, we're going to do a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Mm, I don't know. You know, I'm getting pretty fed up with the North Pole. Maybe we'll just warm things up a little around here. And we're back, and uh, we're going to open the floor for some open discussion, so whatever anybody wants to talk about. So, did you guys notice that this uh, movie inspired the hit video game a month? <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Sergey. Um, 
Um, um, I want to go back to that jump scare. I think a very masterful thing on Carpenter's part is like notice Kurt Russell's hand holding the Petri dish of blood. That is a very obviously fake hand. So it's like, you know, something is going to come. First one in doesn't happen. First one in doesn't happen. And then there's like a whole conversation and it does like a whole thing with the rule of threes because I think it's it's like the third one in where he just dips the hot needle into it and then just... He's like uh, talking about, uh, then we're going to do yours next and then... Yeah. Like it doesn't even give you a minute to like prepare for it. I, I think it's masterful for an effect that sure might be cheap, but you know what? It's done really well. Did you guys know this movie has an alternate ending that no one has seen yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people I, see. The, I was familiar with that. A lot of people see the ending with like the dog. I don't know what version that's from. Maybe like that, a TV edit or yeah, something. Yeah, that that was apparently like a TV edit that Carpenter has like disowned. Who knows what has come from the galaxy? Who knows what evil lurks in the skies beyond God? Watch those around you. Or who knows what today? Tonight or tomorrow will bring. Uh, yeah, uh, the ending I always know is um, McCready and the other guy. I think it's uh, Chimes? Giles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at the end, drinking the scotch. And if you notice, one of them doesn't drink the scotch or whatever, which tips onto it maybe being possessed. I don't remember. I read a theory once. Aliens don't like scotch. Uh, and you can't see the <laughs> breath coming out of Child's mouth, but you can see that's what it was. Yeah, that one I think is bullshit because if, if I remember correctly, you do see their like both of their breath in that scene. So in the editing bay, the editor convinced John Carpenter to go back and shoot a happy ending as a safety where McCready is getting flown out of there and he takes a blood test and they're like, you're all clear, McCready. You're not the thing. And then it's like, movie over. (laughs) And then they stared into the camera and said, don't do drugs, kids. This is a message from the Reagan administration. (laughs) He has never released this shit. And... It's theorized by some people on the special features that like the studio after the poor test screenings where people were like, boo, I fucking hate that ending. Um, they, they found out that John Carpenter had shot a different ending, but he didn't want to tag it to the movie. So the studio didn't market the shit out of this like they were supposed to because he wouldn't attach the happy ending after the test screenings. So that could have been one of the reasons that this got dicked around with back in 82. Classic petty yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Uh, I, I buy it. This is like Sorry. when the studios ruined I Am Legend. John Carpenter was right to insist on no happy ending. Remember how they put an happy ending in I Am Legend and it just undercut the point of the whole fucking movie? Yeah. And the book. The book is good. I've read the book. The I Am Legend alternate ending literally ruins the movie by making Will Smith a grenade. He saved us all. They should make it the thing musical. Something I noticed uh, watching the other day. I've gotten to the point where I'm just putting closed captions on everything. Uh, my hearing. My going. man, join the club. But uh, I noticed how uh, whenever they say the thing, they capitalize the word thing, which I thought was funny. Is <laughs> just like that is their name, and they shall be addressed as such. What are the things <laughs> pronouns? Uh, fuck and off. Good. I thought it'd be like Shadow the Hedgehog. I don't have pronouns. I I really like that final line when he's facing down Wilford Brimley thing and he just goes, Yeah, fuck you too, and just tosses a grenade. There's something very I remember I remember him saying, Get diabetes in 20 years. That's what I remember him saying. Man, speaking of diabetes, uh, where where was uh where was Wilford Brimley before COVID broke out? 
Like that, that, that man was onto something in this movie by fucking up that room, making it, making it so that nobody could leave Antarctica. Yeah, you know, he was onto something. It wanted out. I'll kill you. The truth is out there. <laughs> Come on, man. You don't want to hurt anybody. I'll kill you. In the ending of the book, uh, they actually like they're all done with fighting the, the monster on the base. And then they look to the skies and they see birds and they're just like, oh, no. And that's the ending of the book. <laughs> Oh God! That's birds exist. Up. How could we forget about the birds? Then it was revealed that it's actually a prequel to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Oh, yeah, the matte painter on this worked on Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It's all connected, baby. He actually didn't do work on this film. That's, or at least I've heard rumors that he hired a bunch of assistants, and he didn't. He never actually put a brush to canvas for this whole film, and his name is still in the credits. I think this might just oh, be yeah. a mean rumor John Carpenter spreads. But either way, he's a really talented <laughs> dude. In the thing, the uh, matte paintings were not done by Albert Whitlock. He didn't paint one of them. Uh, he had his assistants. I don't know why. I always had a feeling he didn't like me. You mean the thing Hans Zimmer does half the time? Fun fact, half of the scores attributed to Hans Zimmer are written by students of his, and he just takes the credit. That's a true thing. What? It's hard out there. It's hard out there for an artist. Not for Hans Zimmer. <laughs> yeah, Hans we Zimmer are, got it bang. We are all artists, and that's why we are in a podcast. Maybe that's why uh, there's, like, an entire, like, piece in interstellar where it's it sounds like hans zimmer just like fell asleep on a keyboard like one of his students was just like okay how do i ruin this guy's reputation let's make it sound like he fell asleep on a keyboard and then didn't he get nominated for it still Film i can't Bro remember still loved it <laughs> hey interstellar rocks man it's okay it's a fine it score does. but there's that one piece in it where i'm just like did he just fall asleep on his keyboard <laughs> Is this the best dog performance in a movie of all time? Uh, I think that would go to Channing Tatum's dog. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was a good one. What about the artist? That dog in the artist? Does no, I haven't that, seen that, that. That, that is a good doggo. I was interested to learn that uh, it was actually not a purebred husky. It was a wolf dog. Jed the wolf dog. That kind of like makes it even more impressive in my eyes, just because like wolf dogs are much harder to train. It went out, went on to hang out with Ethan Hawke in the 1991 movie White Fang. Yeah, there we go. Wait, how long was this dog alive? Uh, until like 1996, I think. He lived a long time. It wasn't really a dog. I guess a wolf. I thought wolves only had 20 spear lifespans. We need to get to the bottom of this. We're going to find out the guy that did this hot dog man dot JPEG. I don't know. I haven't watched the show. Oh, my God. What happened here? Yeah, we're all trying to find the guy who did this and give him a spanking. So now we are going to move on to Tim's trivia time. Hell yeah. Hi, motherfucker. Dudes rock. For starters, uh, British Antarctic research stations have a tradition to watch this movie during their midwinter feast and celebration that they hold every year on June 21st. What? Interior sets on the L.A. sound stages were refrigerated to 40 degrees Fahrenheit to create the illusion of Antarctic conditions uh, where the actual temperature outside was well over 100 degrees. Heat wave. I'm, I'm sorry. Jesus. One moment real quick. Are you saying that researchers in the Arctic watch this movie every winter? Yeah. That's like yeah. if someone worked in like the One World Trade Center right now and they watched the 9-11 docu like United 93 every year. <laughs> 
what the fuck? Is that not fucked up to anyone else? I, I think it's funny, but that is a very colorful example. Listen, Tanner, dudes rock. That's all he needs. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, John Carpenter has stated that while he takes all his failed movies hard, uh, the initial critical response to this film hurt him the most out of all. Aww. So, of course, he was greatly relieved when the film began garnering positive reception on home video. The opening title sequence, which, of course, was an homage to the 1951 film uh, that was created by placing an animation cell with the thing written on it behind a smoke-filled fish tank covered by a garbage bag, which was lit on fire to create the burning effect. Many such cases. This is the first John Carpenter film that was not scored by himself. Uh, the first choice for the composer was Jerry Coldsmith, who ended up passing the, on the role. And the role ended up going to Ennio Morricone, who, uh, as we mentioned before, was nominated for a Razzie, which frankly is goddamn ridiculous. Keith David wears gloves throughout the film, which was to cover up a cast after he had broken one of his hands in a car accident. The voice of McCready's computer was John Carpenter's then-wife, Adrienne Barbeau. John Carpenter considers this to be the first film in his Apocalypse trilogy, which was followed by Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. And finally, John Carpenter has stated that out of all of his films, the thing is his personal favorite. Good Dude, rock. Same. Hell yeah. yeah. I, I would also agree. My favorite John Carpenter movie is Escape from New York. That's my second favorite. I haven't seen that one, I'll, I'll be honest, but I'll, I'll watch it. St. Louis, baby! Yeah, they shot a uh, scene in St. Louis. Yeah, when they said, we need a place that looks like it could be a prison city, they went straight to <laughs> us, baby. <laughs> We're number God one. Bless our country like and our Like New city. York, but if it was shitty. Yeah, this yeah. was yeah. This is 80s New York. 80s New York it was a fucking shithole. Yeah. And they said, this isn't shitty enough for us. We need to go to St. <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> yeah, there we go. God bless. So that is going to uh, wrap it up for the trivia. We have any departing thoughts, Tanner? Uh, dudes rock. Thank you, Tanner. Very cool, Austin. Dudes rock. Thank you, Austin. Very cool, Joe. Dudes rock. I guess <laughs> if that's what if that's where we're going, I'm just gonna end it with dudes rock. Watch the movie; it's really good. Th- thank you, Joe. Very cool, Sydney. I'm thinking dudes rock. Yeah! Thank you, Sydney. Very cool. <laughs> Uh, my final thoughts, uh, of course, Dudes Rock, uh, that is a given, but, you know, it's it's a very good movie, and uh, you should check it out if you still haven't seen it. Uh, I, I mentioned on the Cobra cast that that was my first movie that I watched on 4K Blu-ray, and this was my second, uh, so... Woo! It's all uh, it, coming it was, together. It, was, it looked Rock. great in 4K, and you should, you should check it out on whatever format is available. You should check it out. And the Fathom event where they have to rewind the movie from the wolf scene. Don't, yeah. You'll lose 30 minutes of your life. Watch it on your ad-supported Peacock tier. So every 20 minutes you can be interrupted and say, while you're watching the thing, would you like some Chick-fil-A? Yeah, there you <laughs> go. And then it just uh, kicks you in the balls or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's why it's called Peacock, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so... That is going to do it for this podcast, Sydney. Thank you for coming on once again. Uh, Go ahead and do your plugs. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, What an awesome movie to talk about with y'all. And yep, I'm on YouTube, Letterboxd, TikTok, Twitter. Follow her TikTok. She's got some good stuff there. Joe's got some good stuff on there, too, especially about Marmaduke. Just open the door and most of it would go out. Why is this so frustrating? 
Everyone go like his Marmaduke video. Because it'll piss piss him off. Go go chat with me about movies if you so desire. Yes, go chat with Sydney about movies and watch her reviews. Go to the Boston City Hall and (laughs) say, I need to see the Volpe. I'm in the basement and I'm hungry. (laughs) Please send food. Send Sid food. That is going to do it for us today. Thank you for tuning in. If you are listening on any of the audio platforms, Give us a review or a five stars or a thumbs up or something. Do do something, please. Help, help boost us in algorithm something. And then uh, if you are watching this on Spotify, we hope you enjoyed our uncensored version. And uh, if you watched it on Spotify, why don't you go give us money on Patreon? Because uh, we don't make money on the Spotify videos. Uh, and we would like money. If you give us money... Uh, we will put your name in the end cards, probably. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for watching. Uh, leave a comment below. Let us know. What do you think of John Carpenter's The Thing? What do you think of the other versions of The Thing? What do you think of the practical effects? Do you think the score deserved its Razzie? Comment below and let us know. While you're there, hit the like button if you like the video. Hit the subscribe button if you want to see more. And hit the bell icon so the Tanner can break into your home. And I am the thing, and I will infect you. Tune in next week for a Tanner-hosted podcast on Pixar's Lightyear. You have just experienced things on the Bomb Squad podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, nobody trusts anybody anymore. And we're all very tired. But no matter what happens, don't lose your head. Farewell. But I don't want to use my head.